podcast where we break down trending discussions in the world of health, science, and technology. This podcast is proudly created by Project Tomorrow, a student-led Canadian nonprofit based right here in Vancouver. We're your hosts for today. I'm Ava. And I'm Jerry. If you've listened to our first episode, you'll know that our colleague Adrian is also involved in hosting and producing this podcast, so you'll likely hear his voice as well as others on future episodes as we jump on and off hosting the podcast. Before jumping in, just a quick reminder to subscribe to our podcast and follow our Instagram at Annotated Podcast to get all the latest. So Ava, today we wanted to talk about social determinants of health. So let's start just by talking about general health. We can define that as the dynamic state of one's mental, physical, spiritual, or social well-being. And when we think about health traditionally, we're really looking at things like genetics, diet, exercise, or really one's personal choices on how they deal with their health, right? Yeah. Um, But there are other contributing factors. And when we talk about these in a social context, that's what we're really talking about when we say social determinants of health. And in this podcast, however, we're only just going to give a general overview about what social determinants of health is, as well as some of the inequities that social determinants of, of health can influence. So social determinants of health is a huge area of study. So we're just going to touch upon a little of it today. So the WHO definition of the social determinants of health are that they're non-medical factors that influence health outcomes, including conditions in which people are born, work, live, and age. The Government of Canada's definition includes examples such as social status, employment conditions, education and literacy, physical environment, access to healthcare, gender, culture, and race. So in this podcast, like Jerry was mentioning, we're just going to be exploring three social determinants of health. So the first social determinant of health that we're going to explore um, is physical access to healthcare. So this is really about, you know, where you live, what's your postal code. And we're going to take Northern Ontario as an example. So in Northern Ontario, there's, you know, a lot of tiny communities, a lot of these indigenous communities that don't have major health centers. Mm-hmm. As you can imagine, a lot of these small communities may only have nursing stations that don't really have many of the resources that we would expect in a major health center like Vancouver or Toronto. So things that are missing might be ambulance services, imaging such as x-ray or ultrasounds, and other resources as well. Yeah, and another point to add here is that doctors may only be present in these communities for a week every month. So you can be missing out on a lot of uh, healthcare providers' presence. And so, you know, with this, you can imagine that when we talk about emergencies in these communities, it really takes on a new light. You know, if you're taking an example of, let's say, a child that gets anaphylaxis from a peanut allergy, for example, you know, here in Vancouver, you might have an EpiPen, you can go, we can be rushed to the hospital um, immediately within a matter of minutes uh, to get help. But in a lot of these remote communities, that's not possible. There is no ER. And a lot of these places can only be accessed by plane. So you can imagine that help is really a long ways away. Right. Another area where the physical access to healthcare is really a barrier um, is something like long-term care. So one example of this might be if you had to get dialysis treatment. In Vancouver or in major health centers, you might be able to simply um, go once per week to your local kind of health clinic or hospital to get dialysis treatment. But 
in some of these small communities, they actually have to fly out away from home and stay in care centers, again, away from home there for you know months and, or years to receive this treatment because it's simply not available where they live. Mm-hmm. Another example of a story that we've heard is of a patient uh, that had a stroke and needed physical therapy. So again, in major health centers, you could go to a physical therapist, for example, once a week um, after a stroke to really help regain your function. But in these remote communities, there is no physical therapist. There is no resources and help for these patients. So some of the patients will simply not get treatment. Yeah. And another major social determinant of health has to do with individuals' postal codes, as you mentioned earlier, and the food insecurity that is experienced in certain areas. So food insecurity is where people are without reliable access to nutritious foods that are affordable, which is the case for a lot of remote and northern communities in Canada. So when we researched specifically into Indigenous communities in northern Canada, the price of food and goods are twice as high or even more than in southern locations in Canada, even when government subsidies are applied. So for example, a 24-pack of water bottles was $4.50 in Winnipeg. And in Iqaluit, it was $29.99. For pasta noodles, they were $1.50 in Winnipeg and $9.50 in Iqaluit. So as a result of these really expensive prices for foods, it is stated that 7 out of 10 children in Nunavut go to bed hungry. And in addition to these prices of foods, there are availability concerns in remote communities where healthy options just aren't there, which contributes to health issues such as diabetes or heart disease because those nutritious options just aren't present. Actually, there was a study done at McMaster that found that even outside of northern communities, like the ones that you mentioned, there are a lot of issues with kind of uh, food inequity. So we see that in rural communities, they face higher food prices, as you mentioned, but that is you know, not just in the north, that's all over Canada. You know, they're more subject to seasonal variation in fruit and vegetable selections. And not only that, even where there exists availability of fruits and vegetables, um, the advertising uh, of these healthy options can really differ. So um, advertising of healthy food options may be very prevalent in uh, urban centers, but in rural centers, that might not be the case. Yeah. And while these health concerns are more common in some of these rural or remote communities, they in turn do not have accessible and readily available health care, as you discussed earlier, to support people who may suffer from these health issues. So another example has to do with education, which is a factor that can have a very large influence on our health. So with less education, individuals will likely have lower paying jobs that can have more health and safety hazards and can ultimately result in living in communities that also have higher levels of health risks. We can see that education clearly has a cascading effect um, on determinants of health. Uh, Education can affect, again, as Ava mentioned, issues to do with uh, income equality, uh, to do with safety standards, and so it can really have far-reaching effects. So adding to that, the Canadian government has reported that Canadians with lower levels of education, employment, or income are more likely to have diabetes and poor mental health, and those with lower incomes are actually more likely to live shorter lifespans on average. So in addition, many of these communities, especially those that are remote, will have less access to mental health resources to support people who may be suffering from these effects. 
So Ava, we've talked about, you know, three examples of how social determinants of health, such as your, you know, physical location kind of impacts on your access to healthcare, your um, availability of healthy foods, as well as education. And we've kind of talked about how those impact health inequities, but let's kind of switch the conversation to what we can do. So Mm -hmm. what are the modes of action? Right. And there was actually a paper that was published in the Canadian Medical Association Journal or the CMAJ from a group at McGill that outlined specifically different modes of action that we can use to address inequities caused by these determinants of health. So the categories they mentioned were three different levels, the patient level, practice level, and community level. So Ava, do you want to explain a little bit about what the patient level entails? For sure. So starting at the patient level, healthcare providers can ask patients about their social history and work towards referring patients to social support services and act as facilitators to help patients access these services. And oftentimes, Not always, but sometimes what we can see is failure to identify certain social challenges that a patient faces can lead to misdiagnosis or misdirected care plans. And of course, when asking about social challenges that patients face, it's really important to be respectful and culturally sensitive. In these cases, it is extremely helpful uh, for healthcare providers to have access to cultural competency courses so they can, you know, provide the best support and the most respectful support to patients. So overall, this process can involve a social diagnosis and social prescribing where resources are introduced to patients such as uh, women's groups or housing support. The authors also mentioned a 2015 paper that came out of Boston, Massachusetts that was a cluster randomized trial that showed that screening for relevant needs of patients during child visits, as well as providing physicians with just a one-page list of local community resources actually led to an uptick in patients and families using these resources. Um, So, you know, patients were more likely to enroll in support services, families were more likely to enroll their uh, children in childcare, and there was also an uptick in homeless shelters. So we can see that putting physicians um, in the middle of patient care Uh, as well as community resources, does help connect these. One of the other uh, levels of kind of modes of actions that these authors mention is the practice level. So uh, an example of this is reducing barriers to access. So we talked about this a little bit um, in terms of patients' physical access to healthcare, especially in rural communities, but this can really also apply to cities. So for example, providing bus passes to perhaps disenfranchised populations that don't have as much access to transport uh, to get them to health centers right. or setting up systems for childcare so that parents can have time to seek out healthcare uh, without worrying about their children. Or another example is offering translation services for those that are not as fluent in English. Right. So as I was mentioning earlier, integrating social support into primary care could be something really beneficial for patients. So there was actually a pilot project in Scotland uh, that the authors mentioned that showed how these primary care settings can provide a safe space for chronically unemployed patients with barriers to finding a job. Um, And so what they did was they actually had an employment consultant work with these patients in that primary care context. And that resulted in quite a number of positive outcomes. So 
One, it, it, it resulted in paid employment for 57 out of 117 patients in their cohort. Uh, so, you know, around half of the patients uh, actually got paid employment, which is terrific. Mm-hmm. The study also showed 53.6% improvement in the patient's perceived health, as well as 25% reduction in repeat visits to the primary care and a decrease in medication requirements for depression and addiction. So not only did bringing that employment consultant in uh, result in, you know, paid employment, which is, you know, I would assume a expected outcome, but it also had ramifications for the health of these patients. So, you know, better perceived health, but also reducing their visits back to primary care. So lessening the strain on the healthcare system. So the last level that we are going to be discussing is the community level. So working not just with what is traditionally the health sector, but collaborating with community groups and local leaders to integrate with other sectors and create healthier environments. And this would be a community-centric way of health planning. So some examples of this may include increasing green space and bike lanes to create an environment that encourages physical activity, or working on low-cost daycares and early education programs to boost education standards that help parents have more time to, you know, seek medical help if they need it, or even just prepare healthy home-cooked meals. The other aspect of the community-level action is having physicians use their clinical experience alongside evidence that is provided by, you know, health researchers across Canada to to really advocate for social change in these areas. Mm -hmm. So getting physicians to engage in activism within governing bodies and committees as well as the public, to shape policy decisions. Having physicians engaging in the community to tackle these issues and to change social norms allows us to bring these issues up, develop them into our social context, and also help with self-reflection of any personal biases or prejudices. So as you can see, health is not a derivative of just our personal choices. We need systematic change that goes beyond just the health sector but works to change the status quo at the patient, practice, and community level. There isn't just one singular policy that can be applied to fix these very complex challenges. However, the hope is that by addressing inequities in areas such as education, income, housing, social connections, employment, and physical access to healthcare, we can move towards providing more equitable care for the health of all Canadians. That's all we have for today. Thank you all for listening, and we'll be sure to keep you updated on all the latest news in our upcoming episodes. Be sure to subscribe to Annotated wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to let us know what we should talk about next, give us a shout on our Instagram at Annotated Podcast. See you soon.